we're believing that that God wants to reignite these churches in rural areas. God wants to see people saved and set free from sin in these areas. God wants people baptized and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he wants to call them into ministry, call them into vocations, you know, where they would make a difference. Hey friends, it's Jaden. Welcome to another episode on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. If you're new to the Canadian Church Leaders Network or you're just stumbling upon this podcast somehow, I want to give a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're with us. This podcast is all about sharing honest and heart-focused conversations with leaders in Canada and beyond who are committed to seeing the local church thrive in our time. And this conversation you're about to listen to is no exception. Today, we have Mike Vole from North Point Community Church in Edmonton on the podcast with us. Mike has been a pastor at North Point for the last 17 years. 13 of those years he spent as an associate pastor before he moved into the senior role where he's leading today. In this interview, Mike and Jason talk about the 100-plus-year history of North Point, which dates all the way back to 1917. They also discuss the importance of having vibrant churches in rural communities in our nation, touching on themes like church revitalization and how to manage change well as you work with teams of people. It is so impactful hearing the heart that Mike and the team at North Point have to see the gospel take root in both large cities like Edmonton and small towns like Vagerville in Alberta. And one last thing about this conversation, we just want to prepare you. In the final 20 minutes or so of the interview, Mike lets us into the story of losing his wife in a car accident a number of years ago. It's a deeply tragic and sad story that Mike shared with Jason before the interview and that he expressed a willingness to share with us on the podcast. So we wanted to let you know up front so that you're not caught off guard as you move through the conversation. Okay, with that said, here's a quick word from our friends at the Canadian Bible Society, then we'll jump right into the conversation between Jason and Mike. Today's episode is made possible by our friends at the Canadian Bible Society. We want to highlight a resource they developed called the Bible Course, a course that was created to help the average person engage with God's Word in a deeper way. The Bible Course includes eight weeks of video teaching that are all designed to connect the events, books, and characters of Scripture together into one big story. This course can easily be run in small groups and even as a great follow-up to something like Alpha if you're currently running that. To check out the first video for free and to learn more about the course, just head to biblesociety.ca slash thebiblecourse and you'll find all you need. That's biblesociety.ca slash thebiblecourse. Well, Mike, it's a pleasure to be with you today, man. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. It's, uh, it's great to be with you. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> um, I get these briefs. Um, the team does a great job of like doing research and the team actually like asked staff members from your church about what we should talk to you about. And one of the things they insisted we bring up is your, bo- your bodybuilding career. And so I just thought, <laughs> I just thought this, that should be where we start. We've had some ideas for CCL and like, we, I don't think we'll pull it off because well, you'll hear why in a second, but we've been like, what if we did like awards, like pastor awards? And we're like brainstorming like the most faithful pastor or like different awards for different things. But we had never thought about doing like the most shredded pastor in Canada or whatever. So we'll just see, maybe if the 2023 social media strategy has a bunch of awards. Anyways, we, oh, this man, is not- I, I guess I'll have, to, I'll have to get back on the pain train if that's the case. <laughs> Uh, well, this definitely isn't the main reason why I asked to hear your story. And you and I caught up just personally a couple months ago. Um, I love connecting with other pastors across Canada, and I loved hearing your story, your heart. I feel like there's lots I'd love to chat about. So there's lots of ways we could jump in, but I thought we'd just start by learning a bit about the story of Central, uh, now North Point, the church mm-hmm. leading and church with a lot of history in Edmonton. And yeah. uh, I feel like I just, I just love hearing stories of churches. So Tell us a bit about the church Mm -hmm. you're at and a bit of its background. Yeah, North Point Community Church uh, changed its name in 2006 when we relocated out to the northwest of Edmonton, built a a new building. But prior to that, we had been in downtown Edmonton, and uh, it really was in a central location. But 
central Pentecostal tabernacle really began in 1917. And uh, it started wow. out with just some some faithful people, you know, opening up their home. And uh, before long, you know, it just began to grow. And, and you know, they they got into one building after another and eventually ended up on 116th Street uh, downtown in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, there were there were many faithful, you know, people, um, you know, that have pastored there, have come through there, the the Buntains and Tatingers, uh, George Smith. I mean, just some some wonderful people that have that have come through there. And it really was um, a, a church that was very influential in the whole Edmonton mm. area. I mean, it, it, it planted and uh, shaped many other churches in the area. Uh, so many people at one time or another were a part of Central. And so, you know, to be a part of that kind of history is amazing. Mm. Um, you know, just to be able to be in the line with some of those, you know, names that I just listed uh, really is very humbling. Mm. Uh, and to see the work of the Lord continue today. Um, and and in some ways, in even even greater reach than we've ever had, even though, you know, it was a church that has had tremendous reach, you know, by doing things like the singing Christmas tree and, um, you know, by having a TV station and, and radio, like they were really on the front line of technology. They were really, you know, pushing the envelope. So sometimes what people will say to me is like, man, you know, pastor, it just seems like we're pushing the envelope a little bit. I'm like, man, our history is to push the envelope, you know, mm. to do anything it requires to reach people, you know, in, in our sphere of influence. And uh, so I, I really believe that, you know, I'm just I'm just on the shoulders of, of giants from mm. the past, you know, spiritual giants who have who have led on their knees and in, in praying and, and knowing the power of the Holy Spirit uh, and wanting to make a difference. And so, yeah, you know, over 100 years of, of history. And, and I just believe that we are going to continue on in mm. that, you know, one of the core cultural values, you know, that we have as a, as a church is that we would be looking forward. You know, we celebrate the past that God has given us, but, but we believe that our best days are still ahead, you yeah. know, that, that God is going to do amazing things. And I think that the most important thing that I can do in, in leading North Point right now, the way that I can best honor those men and women who, who prayed and who gave and who served is, is to serve faithfully and fruitfully where God has planted us right mm. now. That that's the best thing that I can do to honor them and to honor their legacy. And so I, I'm just praying that the church will, will continue to grow, continue to, to plant other churches and, and just do an amazing work. So I love it. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm hearing a theme about change management coming through some of the conversations I've been having on this podcast. Um, you know, you said this idea of like when people were appropriately responding, oh man, this is so much change or this new approach. And something I heard you say, I just feel like is worth underlining because it's a theme that keeps coming up is like, if you can point to a, a part of the, the history that actually kind of leads us forward, like there's something about that that says, this isn't new, this is who we've always been. And I think we are seeing so many transitions, uh, revitalizations uh, in churches across Canada. And it's, it's not just a now thing. It's, there's kind of an ever changing, but change management is something that I wish, I wish earlier in my leadership journey, I started gathering some best practices around. Because one thing to say, I know where we need to go. It's a whole other thing to be able to take people on that journey and to be able to actually yeah. sort of dig out from it, the story, principles, and almost precedent to say, this is who we are. I'm not trying to do some new thing. I'm actually trying to rediscover who we've always been and God's called us to be. There's some wisdom in that that I didn't want to miss because I love how you said that. And I think it really helps people go, because change is hard, you know, like mm. it's hard to, to miss something you valued or change the format or the style or approach. Anything else you've learned in, in this, in, in you taking leadership, seeing the church move locations, take on new strategies, anything else about change management and leading a, a mature congregation through change that might serve the listeners? Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that you've nailed that. Many 
many leaders, especially younger leaders, you know, we want to make all the changes very quickly. And and we feel like if we don't make those changes really quickly, then, uh, you know, we're not good leaders. And I would just say is that if we look at our ministry as as a real continuum, that, that we've got time. I mean, first of all, God takes his time on us in terms of sanctification. Like he's not in a hurry for us. But, mm-hmm. I, but I really believe that sometimes as leaders, we forget that God actually is wanting to do a work of sanctification in the whole church body and and that he's willing to take some time. Now, you need to be courageous and take courageous steps and bold moves. But if you attach those bold moves to the past, and if you're able to share with people that you actually care about the past and Mm. that you want to honor the past by doing good things in the present that will lead to a preferred future, I really believe that you are going to set wonderful precedent and it has helped our congregation, for example, like in some of the changes that I've made at North Point, um, you know, and some of them large and some of them smaller, you know, some of them just stylistically, I- I've said, you know, to people, I want your grandkids mm-hmm. to worship here. You have given, you have, you have given of your time, of your finances, of your energy. And I want to make sure that this is the kind of the kind of place where your grandkids and where your great grandkids want to be, you know, mm. that that this would continue to flourish, you know, and, and I'll even say to people that, that I'm trying to build a church where my kids want to worship because I'm already convinced like I love Jesus and I'll love him forever. I mean, I, I could go to the most backwards church and I would just love Jesus no matter what. Um, but there are many that they, they need to to have someone come alongside them. They need to mm. really have that kind of, you know, momentum, you know, that it, that is moving forward. And I want us to move forward. So, you know, those would be would be some of the things, you know, I have been here since we were down at Central Pentecostal mm. Tabernacle when the church really didn't have a lot going for it. And where we were wondering, is this the right move, you know, to relocate into the Northwest? And there were many people that said, it's not going to work, you know, and uh, we built the church. There was there was nothing around us, uh, literally nothing around us. No, no homes. Even the road in front was was shut down two summers in a row, our first two summers, uh, you know, because the city and the province weren't speaking to one another. Uh, it was it was tough at times, but it was amazing, you know, how through that. We just had an influx of people who were hungry hmm. for Jesus, and we were able to to you know share with them. We were able to to build momentum and grow, and it was amazing when you are growing, when people are getting baptized, when people are getting saved. Even even those that maybe don't like all of your stylistic endeavors, you know, don't necessarily agree with everything. It's very hard for them to say, "Well, this is wrong." You know, because because there is such a, a beautiful thing when you're celebrating baptisms, when you're mm. celebrating new life, and it, it pulls people along. And I would just encourage leaders, you know, make sure that that you engage uh, people of all ages in your mm. in your church in mission. You know, don't just say mission is is for the the younger individuals. Man, mission is for everyone. And mm. and when people of all ages feel like they're a part of the mission, like a genuine part of the mission, and that they can can really reach out, uh, I'm going to tell you, it's it's going to create momentum. It's going to create a buzz. And, uh, and we, we've seen that. So, and, and, you know, there are some things that we can change very quickly and there are some things where, where you need to be able to, you know, just really plant those seeds in people's minds and, and begin to, to make those changes slowly, you Mm. know? Um, and, and I would just say that, that that is really the art of leadership. There's, there's really no manual for that. You've just got to be close to to the spirit of God. You've you've got to really take on the counsel of the saints. Make, make mm. sure that there are good people around you that are able to speak into your life. Lead your board well. You know, allow them to be a part of that decision making. And I know that it'll make a huge, huge difference. I've had to reframe for myself um, what, you know, sometimes when you're might be just the nature of young leadership or full of vision. Any sort of thing that feels like process or quote unquote pushback, you know, it's just like the temptation is to want to shake that off. And I think what I'm feeling more and more is like almost in a strange way, gratitude when it's healthy, like there's unhealthy 
friction or pushback. But when you've got a board that cares about you or a pastoral team that you're working with or in different churches, a council made up of people in the church, sometimes those questions, those thoughts are just God's grace. You know, oh, God's yeah. grace to slow it down, God's grace to expand the vision, to add nuance, you know? And, and again, obviously in every location and context, it's so unique. And so I'm speaking generally, but it's, it was a reframe for me because I think early on, it's like, this vision's clear. I wanna go after it, let's get it. And then it's like, man, so much of the things, like for me, I think about a big project I was part of a long time ago with Alpha. You know, we wanted to release this thing in like 2011. It took two years longer because of process, but I see how God used that process. Like it, it was fundamentally, like it would be crazy. Like the thing that we were gonna build and release in 2011 versus the one in 2013, I just am so thankful for the way God used process questions, funding limitations, these things to actually make it better than I could have imagined. Oh man, we see that over and over. And, I, and I've seen that in my leadership. In fact, right now there's, you know, just something that, I, that I'm seeing un, unfolding uh, where process wasn't, you know, taken advantage of. And, and instead, you know, um, there were steps that were skipped and, and what it has caused is, is a fracture in this organization. Mm -hmm. And what I've said to our board and to our elders is I would rather take the time if I don't sense that you're all on board with this, if, if there really isn't a, a cohesion and a unity, it means that I either haven't, um, I haven't communicated it well. There's there's something that you're not getting and, and perhaps it's just because, you know, it's in my mind and I haven't been able to communicate that vision well. Or, or perhaps it is just that the spirit of the Lord needs to soften something within you. So if it is, uh, if it's a big decision, we'll just take our time. I mean, mm -hmm. our board's working through something right now where a decision is likely going to be made this evening that was introduced last November. Wow. And I could have easily pushed it through, Jason. Right. I really could have. And, and I could have said, man, I'm right in this. I know that this is the right direction, but but I'm telling you, I would have skipped out on the process. Mm. And the process has been beautiful because it has sharpened us as a board. It has uh, brought different giftings to the table. And we are so unified. Mm. And out of that, I just know there's going to be tremendous strength. So when those hard days come, when, when not everything works out, you know, the way that you had hoped to, at, at least people aren't going to be pointing fingers and saying, well, we really did rush this. And, right. and I wasn't really in favor. It's like, no, you were in favor. Mm -hmm. We took our time on this. And, uh, and so there's been a lot of joy in that. And so I, I agree with you. Like sometimes we see friction as being the worst thing in the world, you know, and it takes away momentum. Well, as someone who lives in Alberta, where six months of the year, you know, we have, uh, you know, ice and snow. Uh, I'm telling you, a little bit of friction is good because sometimes you do need to stop, uh, mm -hmm. you know, at that stoplight. And, uh, and, and you need to be able to do that. But not only that, you need a little bit of friction to be able to go forward. Mm -hmm. uh, because without friction, your, your tires are just spinning. And so some of that friction is, is God-given. Uh, he, like it is a blessing. There have been so many blessings that I've received, even since being lead pastor, where someone has said, Hey, pastor, what about this? Hmm. Or, or I, I'm sensing this. And it has just been a little check in my spirit. And, and I thank God in those moments where I didn't let my pride or ego in the way. And instead I just said, okay, maybe I'm going to take a pause here. Hmm. Uh, maybe God wants to teach me something through this process. And, I, I'm telling you, it is it has really helped us forward. I'd love to hear a bit about, you know, you're a church in Edmonton, but we've chatted before. And I know you have a heart and you, you're doing work in revitalization in smaller towns across Alberta. You have a, a work in Vegreville. I'd love to hear about that. Tell us a bit about your heart and specifically that project and how it's going. Yeah. You know, um, about a year before I, I took over as lead pastor, I, I knew that God was stirring some things within me. And I knew that we needed to help out churches that were hurting. And so God had just laid some places on my heart. And um, I, I just had a real heart and affinity for rural churches. Now, mm -hmm. most 
most urban churches, larger urban churches, you know, they're not focused on rural areas because you're not going to get that explosion of growth. Like if we went into Northeast Edmonton or if we went into Central Edmonton right now, you know, there would be a way faster explosion of growth. But I just really sense where God was saying, I want you to go into hmm. some of those towns where that church is dying, like it's it's on its last days. And, and I want you to, to really be able to breathe, you know, life into them. Um, and, and, and I believe that that really came out of even my own background and my own story. I, I'm a, I'm a kid who grew up in rural areas. Um, you know, kindergarten to grade six, I, I lived in Melville, Saskatchewan, you know, a, a town of 5,000. Uh, then when I was in grade seven, we moved to Wainwright, Alberta, another, town of 5,000. And it was in those towns where we were part of churches that discipled us. And it was in those places where I really learned about Jesus Christ, where I I was called into ministry, where I developed a lot of my ministry, you know, passion Mm. uh, and skills. And so, I've always just thought of the rural church as as an amazing um, place of cultivating leadership. Uh, I remember going to, to Bible college and as, as we would, you know, talk with one another, I, I ended up going to Bible college at Summit Pacific in, in Abbotsford. And all of these guys were from like, you know, Quinnell or Williams Lake, you know, they were, they were from smaller towns, you know, and here I was from this small town as well. And, uh, and I believe that God wants to do something beautiful in this small town. Yeah. So, so when, when I uh, eventually became lead pastor here at North Point, it was one of the first things that I shared with our board. And I said, I know this sounds crazy, uh, but I just feel like God has really given me a vision for us to come alongside churches, you know, Mm -hmm. in smaller towns and to see revitalization happen there, that we would have towns that would have uh, a work, you know, there that, that is, that is fresh and, uh, and that North Point can breathe life into. And I couldn't believe it. They said, we, we just feel like this resonates. Wow. So over a couple of months, man, we just, we just feel like this resonates. And I, and I began to have discussions with our district uh, and letting them know that this was something that we were open to, that if there were churches that were in trouble and, uh, and, and wanted someone who would, who would take them over that our model is a little bit more of, of almost like a a takeover. I know that sounds very crass, um, but, but not so much come alongside as, as if, if your work is dying or it's almost dead, that, mm-hmm. that we would be able to breathe life by, by taking over and by bringing a new culture into that town, because we believe that we have built uh, a healthy culture here at North Point. And uh, we believe that we've also built a leadership pipeline here at North Point that can help to empower some of those rural areas. Hmm. So one of the things that we found is like, I, I taught at our Bible college at Vanguard College for about 10 years. And you you would talk to the students and they all wanted to stay in the Edmonton area or go to Calgary. Um, but very few felt like they were called to a small town. And I mm. thought, man, we're dead. We're dead. But I don't think it's because young leaders are afraid to go to a small town. They just don't want to do ministry alone. Right. Like they, they, they want to know that they've got a covering, that they've got protection. And so one of the things that we offer uh, as a church is um, Calvin and Hannah Somerville, who are our campus pastors in Vegreville. They're on staff at North Point. Mm. They come into our monthly staff meetings when they are in need, man, we're out there. We send teams there. They are not alone. They come mm. under our structures. They come under our banner. And, uh, and that's been, that's been very exciting. Yeah. I think that I love it, by the way, I think that we probably need to, I think language helps conversations a lot, you know, and you kind of have to build like a taxonomy of ideas. And I think when we think about revitalizations, mergers, there's so many different sort of expressions of them and we need these different kinds of expressions. And I think, you know, you mentioned this language of takeover and I I totally get why you kind of was like, Hey, I know that doesn't sound, but like sometimes revitalization looks like a new pastor coming in or a new leadership to an existing church. And that's actually really great if the church can can rally around a new leader and they can come from within themselves in a sense, or they can raise up someone within, that's great. But we're in a moment where there's a crisis of leadership, where there's just not 
um, a lot of experienced senior leaders that can come in and navigate that. You know, another model would be more of like a marriage where it's not a, it's not like, you know, again, to reference this different than takeover would be like two churches that might have complementary gifts, right. giftings and weaknesses can, can have a marriage that they're better together. And those are happening all across Canada. Totally. But what we're also seeing is an increase in churches that are kind of at their last legs and they, they lack yeah. a few things, the resources. So it's like, sometimes it's financial, but that can be other things. It's the personnel, it's the people. Um, sometimes the vision tank is empty. You know, or there's really like a lack of strategy or you mentioned culture. And um, what I love is just acknowledging that when those things are all absent, there's an opportunity for a vibrant other church to yeah. invest deeply, to come alongside. And that's going to look different than how another church might do it, another church might do it. But I think what impacts me hearing you is I hear the love in your voice. Like mm. it's not to expand the footprint of North Point. It's to say, hey, no. what, what do we have a surplus of in North Point? that could be stewarded to see revitalization. And if you zoom out, I think, and we look at the 200 year story, the 300 year story, you're at a church over hundred years old. All of these names will be forgotten a hundred years. They'll be changed and churches will split apart and merge and marry, but this right. could keep a vibrant work alive in that town yes. that can you know, have a metamorphosis again and again and again. And so I just, I just love leaning into this conversation that's mm -hmm. kind of building a bit of a, as a, with the listeners, a bit of an increasing amount of frameworks for us to think about, okay, what types of right. things need to happen for us to see a flourishing carry on? Well, it was interesting for us, for Vagerville in particular, you know, our district said Vagerville has been without a pastor for, I, I think at that point, it had been about 10 months and uh, they were, they were really struggling. They had a core leadership team of about, of about three very, very good people from the congregation who were keeping things mm. alive and they wow. were faithful uh, and good people. And so at that point, I just said to the district, well, listen, we'll, we'll do a service there. We'll, we will come alongside them. We'll help them. Do they need help with worship? Do they need help with some preaching? We'll send some teams in there. And it was interesting. The first time we went there, uh, I went there with our, our worship pastor, Jeremy Gifford, and he and I went there and uh, we were talking about the service and those three leaders were there that day. And I just felt in my spirit that I was supposed to sit down with them and share with them. And so we, we got into, uh, into the offices and we sat around the table and I said, I believe that the DNA that is here Though God has done amazing things in the past through your church, there is no question. And I celebrate it. I don't throw rocks at it in any way, shape, or form. But it is not going to get you where you need to go. And they just wept and wept and mm. wept. And so, you know, it was out of that that we did a couple town hall meetings with the people. They were able to ask all the questions that, that they wanted. Mm. And so after those two meetings, you know, they voted 100% uh, to no longer be Maple Street Worship Center but to become North Point Vagerville. Wow. And that was amazing. I, I mean, I never believed that it would be 100%. And so, you know, it's been, it's been amazing, you know, to mm. be able to go in there, to be able to hire, you know, uh, Calvin and Hannah, uh, to be able to start up programs. You know, there was no kids ministry. Now there's well over 20 kids every single wow. Sunday. There's a midweek kids program that is vital. There's a youth program. Young adults are meeting uh, right now. The community loves them. We've done community outreach. Um, the, the mayor and the council, they love the church now because wow. they see us as, as people that want to be a part. We, you know, we were in the, the local parade, you know, which is a really big deal in Vegarville. And, um, and so, you know, what once was a church that maybe people would pass by and not think twice about, I think now more and more people are saying, that's a good place. Wow. Yeah, we were there, you know, and, uh, and so, it's been it's been pretty pretty amazing to see what God is doing. And what are you thinking ahead? Like, is this something that you guys are building capacity to do more of, or so one yeah. off, or what's what's in your heart in terms of looking at other towns and other churches, maybe in a similar situation within the denomination or beyond? Yeah, we're doing that right now. So we knew right off the bat that this was going to be something that we believed that God was going to. Uh, continue to, you know, increase our influence if we were going to be faithful, you know, with what what he has given us. And so 
we have a, a campus expansion fund. We are we are starting to save up for that next one. You know, it really costs between three hundred and fifty and five hundred thousand right off the bat. Even if you have a really good building, you know, there are going to be some renos that need to be done, and uh, quite frankly, that doesn't even include real operating expenses. So, so we're saving for that, and we're just believing for the right opportunity to come. So I'm trying to do this in um, uh, a really good way. I'm trying to steward what God has done here. I I don't want to wreck the momentum that we have by just, you know, going into every single town and every opportunity. I, I believe that God has the next for us already. I'm not sure what that is. But we're trusting for that. So we're already saving up for it and believing that God's going to send the people. He's going to to send that that town uh, mm-hmm. to us. And then we're going to be ready to respond. And I don't know where it, it's going to end or, or what this is going to look like. But as long as God will trust us with us, with this process, we're going to continue to move forward mm-hmm. in courage and in faith. Uh, believing that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And mm. so we're just, we're believing that that God wants to reignite these churches in rural areas. God wants to see people saved and set free from sin in these areas. God wants people baptized and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he wants to call them into ministry, call them into vocations, you know, where they would make a difference. And so we we want to be a part of that in rural areas. Wow. I'd love to rewind and look at, um, yeah, I'd love just to visit some parts of your story before even North Point. And I know that you've shared openly about some real grief and tragedy you experienced that's defined a lot of your life and your ministry. And I'm just wondering if you'd be comfortable sharing a bit about that. Cause I feel like, I think it just, it's a powerful window into who you are, your story, and also God's grace in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I um, I feel like with our with our stories is that whenever we go through something difficult, um, that that I believe that we got to share those stories. Like it, it's a mm-hmm. way of redeeming, you know, those those difficult times. And so, um, I, I got married uh, quite young to my high school sweetheart, uh, Sherry Velo. And so I was 21 and she was 20 and, and we were high mm. school sweethearts. And so, man, from the first time I saw her when I was in grade seven, she was in grade six. I was like, man, she will be mine. I just, <laughs> there was, she just was, she was just really special to me. But, um, you know, we started dating when I was in grade 11 and she was in grade 10 and, and then ended up going to, to Bible college uh, together. And, uh, and then got married when I was going into my fourth year of college. And so dated, you know, four and a half years. And, um, and then we were married for four and a half years. We were pastoring uh, at Broadway Church in Vancouver, uh, yeah. living downtown Vancouver, just really enjoying life. Um, Sherry had gone back for a second degree. She was at Simon Fraser University doing her education degree at the time. And uh, things were just rolling for us. I mean, we didn't have any money whatsoever, but we were really having a good time Hmm. and we were starting to figure things out. And so uh, one one Friday night uh, for our our youth, there was a girls all nighter. And so Sherry was out with these girls all night, you know, doing manicures and pedicures and and all sorts of makeup with them. And and they stayed up all night and and uh, I was at home and I slept. But the next day we were going to be going to Kelowna. And so I picked her up from the church. She was she was so tired. And uh, we made our way towards uh, Kelowna. And just after the the toll booth, there used to be a a toll booth on the Mm -hmm. Coquihalla. We hit some black ice and started swerving sideways. And I, I just remember in that moment of just knowing before anything happened, I knew that my life would change. And I mm. don't know how, but it was like in an instant, I just knew that something was going to change my life forever. And uh, we hit the uh, snowbank and we went down a very steep embankment and we were just rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling. And I was conscious the whole time, broken glass, snow, you know, coming in, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden we come to an abrupt stop 
And uh, I immediately look over to Sherry and uh, Sherry is slumped over and uh, she's, she's broken. You know, it was terrible. I mean, it was a, it was a nightmare. Yeah. And I met, like, I just started praying like a house on fire. I was, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, like, I didn't want to move her. And by God's grace, someone actually saw a, a ploof of, of snow and they stopped just to see like what went on. And I just remember this gentleman going, are you okay? And uh, I I yelled out, I think my wife is dead. And I remember, uh, you know, he was just like, oh my. And a few minutes later, he and a few other people that he had had, uh, waved down, they came down, they got me out of the vehicle. I probably would have froze to death down there just because I wouldn't have wanted to leave her. Uh, They got me out of there. I was in shock. Uh, and then they, and then we we took her, and then they started to do CPR. There were some some people that were taking care of her, and someone put me in into their vehicle, and I just kind of watched things, and and I just remember thinking, God, like this cannot be how things go, and uh, I had to uh, I had to call Sherry's parents. I remember her mom answering the phone, and I said, I'm so sorry, mm. Sherry's gone. She's dead. And I'll just never forget the first thing she said is, Mikey, are you okay? Mm. You know, um, like just so much love. And so really that was that was my, you know, foray into darkness. Like it was just a, a real dark time mm-hmm. for me and, uh, and real uh, a desperate time, you know, going through the funeral and then a big funeral at Broadway Church and... Uh, and then just trying to get back into life. And I remember, you know, I, I had to take some, some time off. I just, like, I hit the wall. I, I went into, you know, deep, deep depression, you know, was medicated for that. I remember uh, it was in that, that following, uh, July. I, I remember just, I was in my office and I just started staring out the window. I was just staring at the window and, uh, that's when I knew it was over. And, and I remember going to the doctor and he said, yeah, you've got chronic depression. Like you, you've got full on depression and, and we need to get you medicated. And, uh, and then I remember the next stop I, you know, was in the EI lineup. And I just remember thinking like, I've lost my wife. Like, mm. like I, I, I love her so much. Um, and now maybe I'll never pass her again. Right. I just remember being in that EI lineup and thinking like, I'm so broken. I don't know if I'll ever pass her again. And I just remember thinking like, this is a lot of loss. And, um, you know, and it was out of that, that I just went through, you know, a couple of year grief journey. And, uh, just sometimes I grieved well, sometimes I grieved terribly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, grief is not linear. It just hits you out of nowhere goes back and forth. But uh, I, I just praise God that I had just lovely family and friends that just came alongside me and believed the best of me when I couldn't believe the best of myself. Mm-hmm. People have said, Mike, God still has a calling on your life. And don't, don't give that up. You know, even when I would yell out and scream out to God, like, God, where are you? Mm. You know, I just remember, you know, sometimes being so mad at God. And then at the the same time, I'm like, but God, don't leave me. Like, I can't have you leave me too. Like I was in a, I was in a full on catch 22, you know? And, uh, but through that time, man, I just, God's hand sustained me. And I realized during that time, Jason, it was just like that calling that God God gave me when I was 15 years old, where he said, I want you to dedicate your whole life to me and your whole life to serving me in, in ministry specifically. And I remember like I had, I did not want to follow Jesus, man. I did not want to become a pastor. I wanted to be a doctor. You know what I mean? I, I wanted to, to make a little bit of money. I wanted to drive a BMW. I did not want to be a pastor. I did not want to be sent to some crazy place around the world. You know, I wanted life on my own terms, but I just remember when I said, Jesus, I will, I will do whatever you want me to do. And I just realized during that time after losing Sherry, I was like, Lord, I I said that I was going to serve you and I'm still serving you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to honor you. And I'm going to honor you every time I cry, every time, you know, and I just, so I just started raising my hands. Mm -hmm. I just, I just started worshiping him. 
And I said, Lord, I am, I am going to turn my brokenness into worship. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. And, and I'm going to use this, you know, mess really as my message, you know, and I'm going to allow you to speak to me and through me, you know, through all of this. And, you know, I, I've just seen that come to fruition and it has been something else. I mean, I wrote a book about th- this whole journey and wrote it in 2015. And it was actually my wife, Melissa, I, you know, I got, I got remarried, um, three years after, uh, Sherry passed away and, and God just sent me just a, a gift in Melissa. She's just something else. And it was the reason why I, I moved to Edmonton. She was going to the U of A at the time and finishing up a, a graduate degree. And so moved out just so that we could start a new life. Um, but you know, it was, it was really, it was really during all of this where I just realized like, I, I've got to put my story down for others to learn mm. from as well, because I, I've just got to be raw enough where people can actually process through grief. And, mm. and it was cool. It, it was, it was actually my wife, Melissa, who finally said, you know what, enough's enough. You got to write this book. Mm. You got to do this. And so I did. And, and I thought no one would read it, but it's amazing. Jason, I'll bet you every week someone comes up to me and just in, in fact, just three days ago, someone said, I just read your book. I read it in two days. I couldn't put it down. And it just spoke to the things that they're going through in their life mm. because mm-hmm. everyone grieves, you know, mm-hmm. Every, everyone grieves. I mean, COVID has taught us that. I mean, there's so much grief. I think there are a lot of pastors probably listening right now. It's like, man, they're grieving the loss of a dream. Yeah. You know, I talked to a friend right now where um, their their church just voted, you know, to to disband essentially on Sunday, you know, there's a, there's a death of a dream. There's a, there's a grief that's going to have to be processed through that. And, and there's all sorts of things that we grieve. And so I, I just thank God that in some ways that he, in his, in his mercy, that even through the ugliest time of my life, that, that he was able to teach me and correct me and help me to process through that kind of grief. Hmm. Oh, I love you, bro. And, um, yeah, you know, I'm so sorry and, um, appreciate you, you know, just even trusting this space to tell that story. And, you know, I pastoring, I just feel like I never was prepared for what it feels like to enter people's grief and to see, Mm -hmm so much brokenness you know and i think sometimes as pastors we actually don't know how to cope with it and we get bitter or we close off or whatever mechanism we have and it's just like sometimes it's overwhelming you know so much hurt and i just wonder if if you'd be up for it just to share a little bit about how your own journey of grief over many years you know it informs the way you walk with people yeah. the way you pastor, the way you preach. I don't know, just when you're yeah. aware of the kind of hurt that people hold. And yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it has certainly informed things. You know, I, th- I think about, you know, before losing Sherry, I just, like, I wanted to be the best pastor I could possibly be. And, you know, I was voracious as a reader, you know, because I'd always want to, you know, uh, hone my skills. And those are all really, really good things to do, you know, and I, and I learned a lot from it. But nothing could teach me how to pastor like walking through my own grief journey. Hmm. And I think sometimes we, like, we push off those things or or we, you know, we, we try to somehow... Um, sidestep, you know, anything that, that, that might happen in our lives that we would consider, you know, as bad or not God's will. And, you know, we pray against those things. And I just sometimes wonder, it's like, you know, do some of those things happen where God is just like, man, I just, I just want to, I want to work in your life. So like, I don't think God took away Sherry so that I'd be a better pastor or I'd learn how to grieve, you know I mean? So like, I just, I just want to say that just straight off, but we live in a broken world and in a broken world, broken things happen and things break down. And then what are we going to do in response to that? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, was I going to worship the Lord Jesus in the middle of that? Was I going to give him all of that? And so I think what it's taught me 
is to be able to enter into people's brokenness is that I'm not, when, when someone shares something that is very deep and very um, hurtful and very painful and very raw, I, I don't get squeamish. Mm. Uh, I don't get squeamish when they when they're railing against God in that moment because I know what that's like, and I loved Jesus, like I loved Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet there were sometimes I'm like, I don't know what you're up to, mm. I don't know what's going on, God. You know, and and I was the one that was railing, and so you know to be able to enter in there, and then sometimes it's just speaking that just that word of truth. I remember my counselor one time. I was I was. Um, talking with with my counselor shortly after Sherry had passed away. And and I was just, I, I was feeling like a murderer because I was driving the vehicle, you know, mm-hmm. and here I was mm-hmm. scot-free, a couple scrapes, and and she lost her life, you know. And I was like, I just feel like such a murderer. Like, how could I have done this to my to my precious girl, man? Like, and, and uh, you know, she just said, stop, Mike. She said, do you think, do you think Sherry is would whatever would ever hold this over your head you know do you think she'd ever do that and uh, she's like there's no way she would she she mm-hmm. knows who you are and so just you know that truth and mm-hmm. every now and then she would just stop me when when i was when i was saying things that were not true she'd just do it gently but firmly she would just say whoa that's not true and so i find myself now to be able to to enter into people's pain to be able to hear that but then also to be able to speak truth to be able to speak truth with grace, you know, truth with love. And that has really helped me. So, you know, for me, actually, as a pastor, I I actually don't like doing weddings at all, like almost not at all. <laughs> but I love doing funerals. Hmm. Um, I just find that it's during funerals where, where people are open, where people need to have someone that is just comfortable, even in the face of death, even in the shadow of death, to walk with them. And it's just a grace that God has given me and mm. it's given all sorts of open, open doors. And it's something that I try to, you know, train to our younger pastors here as well of just being like, don't, don't be afraid, you know, to say the name of the person that's died. Don't be afraid to ask questions about them. A lot of times we get all, you know, we get all scared about that. I remember, man, people would, would come and they'd be talking to me after Sherry died and, and you could tell they were squirrely for good reason, you know, like, what mm. can I bring up? What can I not? And uh, I always loved it when they were just like, can I just share something that where Sherry really made a difference in my life? I love talking about her. Like Mm -hmm. it didn't hurt me. It didn't anger me. In fact, if anything, it was a good reminder that they hadn't forgotten. Mm -hmm. And and in fact, often when I knew that people were really uncomfortable around me, like I just, I just call it out and I'd be like, you know what? I'm going through a hard time right now. Like I miss Sherry so much. I just love to hear her voice. Remember that one time when we were all together and, she did that really funny thing and they would start laughing because it was my way of saying, listen, for, for people who are grieving, you've got to enter into that grief, mm. you know, and sometimes being a good friend is just entering in and, and sharing those stories and coming alongside. And so um, it is, it has really helped me. It's helped me as a human being, but it's helped me as a pastor a lot just to enter into that because there is just so much grief. Mm-hmm. out there. And and I don't think as North Americans, we process grief very well. No. You know, we, we hide from it. You know, if you go through that, you know, that time of depression, we say, well, that's not from God, you know, kind of thing. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're questioning, you know, well, well, how dare you question the God of the universe or whatever? I just, friends, like you've got to just enter in when it's raw like that, you know, you can speak truth, but it can be, it can be without grace. And and I think that that's the the mastery, that's the artfulness that we need to learn of just being like, you know, when is the right time? And uh, those are some of the things that I've picked up, and and uh, and I think it's really really helped me as as a pastor, it helped me with greater empathy mm-hmm. uh, with what people are going through, helped me in my preaching, you know, um, helped me to be way more raw and transparent, you know, not to hide things. It doesn't mean we have to be gratuitous and share everything that we're thinking, but to be able to say, listen, here's what's, what's going on. And, uh, and I, and I think it really helps people. Hmm. Wow. You have a real Mark life, man. Like it's, um, real joy to, 
feels like an honor to hear your story, how God's worked in your life, how God's using you in Edmonton and beyond, and just so grateful. Um, thanks for sharing all that. And even as you're sharing, I just, you know, found my heart thinking about the new heavens and the new earth, mm. you know, and like the foolishness of what we preach as pastors. Like I'm all about the inbreaking kingdom, man, you know, like signs yeah. and wonders and glimpses, yeah. but there's a sense of like, man, but there will be a day where every tear will be wiped away. No more death, no more parting, you know, God will be with his people. And, um, man, just what an honor we have as pastors, hey, to proclaim that promise that yes. God's going to make everything new, yes. you know, and just, um, just felt that jump in my heart, you know? Mm. It's so good. It's, and it's so true. And, and I think actually for me losing Sherry taught me just how close that kingdom is, mm. you, you know, it is just beyond the veil. Like it is, it is so close and, uh, and, and it has given me a new appreciation for that, you know, of just how the Lord is making all things new. So, well, I appreciate the time you spend with us today and I look forward to more conversations, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, I want to say thank you to Mike for letting us in to the story of North Point and what the Lord is doing through that community and into your story of loss. We're so thankful that there are people like you leading churches in our nation. So thank you, Mike. If you want to connect more with Mike's work or the ministry happening at North Point, there are links in the show notes for you. You can find those wherever you are listening in. And specifically, if you want to go deeper into Mike's story and how the loss of his wife has shaped his perspective on grief and suffering, you can order his book, Sideswipe, today. Now, before we sign off, I want to thank a few people who helped shape this episode. A huge thank you to Josh Thompson from our team for helping set this conversation up with Mike and Aaron Johnston from the team at North Point for giving us the inside scoop on Mike's bodybuilding career, but more importantly, Mike's life and leadership. I also want to thank Will Lee for producing this episode and Todd Lewick and Anne Miranda for their editorial work along the way. You know, our team loves being able to provide this kind of content for pastors, and we're only able to do it because of the generosity of individuals and churches who are partnering financially with us at CCLN today. So if you've benefited from our work at CCLN in some way, shape, or form, and you want to join that crew of generous givers, please consider heading to ccln.ca partner to find out more about what it could look like for you to join us in encouraging and resourcing pastors in Canada. Okay, thanks for tuning in to this episode on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Bless you as you go and serve the people Jesus has entrusted to you wherever you might be. Bye for now.